So I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Democrats are rushing to defend sexual harassers. Republicans are rushing to defend sexual molesters. And the New York Times actually did something right. So everything is awesome. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Ah, yes. Just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, we came back from Thanksgiving vacation. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving at the Shapiro household. We actually went up to Big Bear for the weekend, which was just awesome. Um, But I hope that you did something fun with your family as well. A lot to get to because the news doesn't stop just because the world seems to over Thanksgiving Day weekend. Before we get to any of the brand new news, first, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Ring.com. So, Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. Today, over a million people use the amazing Ring video doorbell. We are some of those people when we are out of town. We know when people are ringing our doorbell because it rings directly through to my phone and I can see who it is that is ringing my doorbell, which is great because if someone wants to break into my house, normally what they do is they're going to ring the doorbell, see if somebody's home, and then they break in if nobody answers. So you can answer it and then they're not going to know whether you're home or whether you're not and they're not going to break in. This is one of the purposes of having the Ring Video Doorbell. It also makes sense if you have an annoying neighbor and you don't actually want that person to come into your house. Ring Video Doorbell is very useful for that as well. Right now, they also have the Ring Floodlight Can and they are extending their level levels of security to the rest of your home. Just like Ring's amazing doorbell, Floodlight Cam is a motion-activated camera and floodlight that connects right to your phone with HD video and two-way audio that lets you know the moment anyone steps onto your property. You can see and speak to visitors. You can even set off an alarm right from your phone so nobody is going to be threatening your property ever again. Ring Floodlight offers the ultimate in-home security. Again, save up to $150 off a Ring of Security Kit when you go to ring.com slash Ben. That's ring.com slash Ben. You get 150 bucks off the Ring of Security Kit, which is a solid deal. Ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Make sure that you go and check it out. Ring.com slash Ben. Use the slash Ben for the discount and to make sure they know that we sent you. Okay, so I want to contrast today situations in which Americans feel that sexual harassment and molestation are just wrong, wrong, wrongity, wrong, wrong, and situations in which apparently we don't care anymore. So here's the situation in which we feel that it is wrong, wrong, wrongity, wrong, wrong. If you have somebody who's applying to your college football coaching position, then even the mildest suspicion they may have covered up for sexual molestation means that you cannot get the job. I speak, of course, of Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano was, was about to be hired at the University of Tennessee. He's the Ohio State defensive coordinator. And Schiano has been very successful in that position. He was about to sign a contract at the University of Tennessee to take over their head coaching position. But then a lot of people started to protest. And they started to protest because Greg Schiano was working over at Penn State when Jerry Sandusky, the then defensive coordinator, was stooping little boys in the, in the showers. And when uh, Paterno, Joe Paterno, was allegedly allowing that to occur or at least not doing enough to stop it. And there was one allegation by a guy named Mike McQuarrie, who was one of the guys working on the defensive staff, that he had heard through the grapevine that Shiano had seen Sandusky molesting a kid and done nothing about it. Now, that allegation was unsubstantiated. It was denied by Shiano. It was denied also by another member of the defensive coordinating staff who supposedly McQuarrie had heard this from in the first place. So this is really kind of dicey stuff to begin with. But even the implication that Shiano must have known about it or may have known about it meant that the people at the University of Tennessee went nuts. So all of Tennessee's major politicians said he can't hire Shiano. They have a big rock at University of Tennessee. I know about it because I was just visiting University of Tennessee at Knoxville. They have this big rock where you can paint messages on the rock. And one of the things that they painted was Shiano covered up child rape at Penn State. So they ended up withdrawing their offer to Greg Shiano because obviously we don't want people who are alleged to have covered up child molestation, no matter how weak the allegation, coaching a major college football program. He should have run for Congress. That would have been a lot better for him if he had run for Congress because the Democrats who have spent the last month 
saying that it's time to finally wipe out sexual harassment. It's time to finally wipe out sexual abuse. And you know where we should start? We should start with the Alabama Senate race. Let's start with that kitty porn guy, Roy Moore. Let's start with that guy. Let's start with him. You know, we're so into the anti-sexual harassment campaign now, say the Democrats, we're even willing to throw the desiccated corpse of Bill Clinton under the bus. He's no longer useful to us, and we'll just take that skeleton and toss it right under the grinding wheels of that bus. Time for him to go. Teddy Kennedy? Well, that dude's been bloated and dead for a long time. So if we have to say some bad things about Teddy Kennedy, okay, well, we will set a new standard, a brand new standard. And now the day of light is coming. There will be no more sexual harassment. There will be no more sexual abuse. We'll finally come to a conclusion in this great saga of women being victimized throughout the United States in positions of power. Well, that lasted for like a week. Uh, so congratulations, Democrats. Your, your moral stand lasted for, I think, less than a week, actually, because first there were allegations about Senator Al Franken, and then there were allegations about John Conyers. So the, let's start with the Conyers allegations, because this is truly stunning stuff. So John Conyers is an 88-year-old congressperson. He is apparently senile. There, there are uh, reports that he had literally walked into meetings in his pajamas, John Conyers. Uh, he's not been around for quite a while. He was apparently... Uh, a, a, a guy who sexually harassed women many years ago as well. At least those were the allegations. In any case, it has now come out that there was a settlement that Conyers made with a former member of his office in which she accused him basically of propositioning her, and when she refused, he, he fired her. It was basically the allegation. She ended up settling out for like 30 grand. There was also a lawsuit that had been filed against Conyers. There was an on-the-record allegation by the Washington Post. Uh, there was a big report by the Washington Post. All of this happens, and Conyers is 88 years old. Now, make no mistake, this is what's astonishing. Okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Roy Moore in a little while, but let's just put it this way. The Republicans have said, Roy Moore can't lose that seat. Why can't Roy Moore lose that seat? Because if you go from 52 to 51 votes in the Senate, it's going to be very difficult to pass anything. Plus, what happens if there's a Supreme Court vacancy and you need that vote? So a Senate seat is super important. And right now, if Moore were to lose, he's in the middle of an election cycle, a Democrat would take that seat, and the Democrat would then be able to vote against the priorities of Republicans. Okay, it's an argument. I don't think it's the world's strongest argument, but it is an argument. This is the binary argument we saw during the 2016 election. It's the exact same argument and we're having it again. I didn't buy it then, I don't buy it now, but okay, let's assume that that's an argument. I'll tell you what's not an argument. Let's say that Roy Moore were a sitting U.S. senator, and let's say the governor of his state were a Republican, and now he could be thrown out of office, and the Republican governor would simply appoint a Republican replacement. Or let's say that there was a congressperson, a Republican congressperson, who was in the midst of a sex scandal, and that person would be thrown out of office. There'd be a special election. It's a very Republican district, and a Republican would be elected to replace that person in all likelihood. Wouldn't that sort of take away the, the, even, even the argument that there's a, a binary choice? Well, this is what's so incredible about what the Democrats are doing. Republicans made the argument about more. You can't have Doug Jones in there. Again, I, I think that I don't want Doug Jones in there either. I think the moral choice in Alabama is to sit it out or write somebody in instead of Roy Moore. But at least there, there's an argument that the Senate seat's important. There is no argument that Al Franken's Senate seat is important because it's not. There's a Democratic governor of Minnesota right now. There's no argument that John Conyers' seat is important. He's in like a D plus 1,000 district. John Conyers has been reelected for 22 straight terms, I believe. The guy runs like a medieval fiefdom. Okay, if he's thrown out, guess what? A Democrat will replace him. Democrats still refuse to throw Conyers under the bus. This is amazing stuff. It just demonstrates that all this talk about sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual misconduct, it's all a bunch of hooey when it comes from politicians. They're all lying. They say they pretend to care about this stuff. They do not care about this stuff one iota. And the proof is coming from your very, very feminist House Minority Leader, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi 
and came out and she called John, she was asked about John Conyers and whether John Conyers should go. And remember, Nancy Pelosi is the first female speaker of the house. She held up the big gavel. She brought in all of her grandkids, the ones who had not been aborted, and they all stood around her and it was all just glorious and wonderful. She's such a feminist icon, Nancy Pelosi. Now she's specifically asked about John Conyers who has many allegations of sexual harassment against him by Chuck Todd. And here is Nancy Pelosi's answer. You said there's now a zero tolerance. Yes. John Conyers, what does that mean for him right now? now? Let's say in or out. we are strengthened by due process. Mm -hmm. Just because someone is accused, you, and, and was it one accusation, is it two? I think there has to be. John Conyers is an icon in our country. He has done a, gr a great deal to protect women, Violence Against Women Act, which the left wing, right wing is now quoting me as praising him for his work on that, and he did great work on that. But the fact is, uh, as John reviews his case, which he knows, which I don't, I believe he will Why do. Don't you? I believe that well, he will. That excuse me, may I finish my sure, sentence? Sure. That he will do the right thing. He will do the right thing. So here's what he did: he stepped down from the House Judiciary Committee, which the Democrats wanted him to do anyway because they want somebody who is not senile in charge of that committee. But when she says we don't know the accusers, how many there are, or what they've said, well, we know there's a settlement. We know there is a Washington Post story full of allegations. We know that you're calling on Roy Moore to step down from his Alabama Senate race over various, you know, uh, over allegations that are, quote unquote, similarly vague because they're not vague. Right. Nancy Pelosi, great feminist hero, says John Conyers is an icon. He must stay. And then she goes even further. She defends Franken. She defends Bill Clinton. And then she calls Roy Moore a child molester. I don't know how you can hold a standard of evidence that says that Al Franken is innocent. Bill Clinton is innocent. and Roy Moore is guilty. That standard of evidence does not exist. Obviously, it is a generational change, but let me just say the concern that we had then was that they were impeaching the president of the United States and uh, for something that had nothing to do uh, with the performance of his duties and trying to uh, uh, take him out for that reason. Why do you think the reaction was different by women on Bill Clinton? And I say that because it does seem as if, frankly, when you watch some of the reactions by the president in defending Roy Moore, or at least overlooking the allegations against Roy Moore, that were you putting politics ahead of your personal disgust? No, but we're talking about a child molester. Oh, okay. okay but, we're talking about a child molester. But President Clinton was accused of being a sexual predator. Well, I mean, and of even rape at one point by one, by one by one accused. Why don't we talk instead about how we go forward? Nobody is proud of President Clinton's behavior at the time. Why don't we talk about how we go forward? Because you haven't gone forward. You're defending John Conyers and Al Franken right now. Forget about 20 years ago. Now. Right? All these Democrats who are now saying, oh, we would have been in favor of Bill Clinton's impeachment. They're full of absolute crap because now they have the opportunity not only to do this, but to do it without any sort of political repercussion. That's what's truly astonishing to me. Right? The political loyalty runs so deep in Washington, D.C. The partisan tribalism runs so deep in Washington, D.C. It doesn't even matter if you're going to lose something. Now, I was under the weird misimpression over the last couple of weeks that all of this was about losing a seat or losing political power. It's not even about that. It's about pure partisan loyalty. It's about John Conyers has a D by his name, and it doesn't matter if he'd be replaced by another person with a D by his name. So long as he has the D by his name, Nancy Pelosi will stand by his side. She'll stand by Bill Clinton's side. She has no good answers to these questions. If they want Roy Moore elected, there's no better way of getting Roy Moore elected to the United States Senate than for Democrats to do exactly what they did this weekend. It gets even worse, and I'll show you. Talk about it in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So, listen, the government recommends that in case of natural disaster, you have some food on hand in your house that can take you through a period that could be pretty brutal. Here in California, there have been reports about some activity along the San Andreas Fault. If, God forbid, there were to be a major earthquake, 
The government recommends that you're supposed to have a certain amount of food available in your house so that you don't have to run out to the grocery store or in case emergency services can't get to you. That's why you need to speak with my friends over at My Patriot Supply. You can get their 102 serving survival food kit for just 99 bucks. It includes breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. It is shipped to your home office, your home or your office for free. Order a kit for yourself now. Call 888-803-1413, 888-803-1413, or go online to preparewithben.com, preparewithben.com. Again, the emergency food lasts for like 25 years in storage. So you buy it once, you forget about it. And then when there's an emergency, you're glad that you did. You spent 99 bucks and you have 102 servings of survival food for just $99. Really good deal for making sure your family is preserved in safety. Again, 888-803-1413, 888-803-1413 or preparewithben.com. That's preparewithben.com. Yeah, another one of these Democrats demonstrating her hypocrisy. There's a woman named Jackie Spire. Jackie Spire uh, is a Democratic representative. And Ms. Spire, is, uh, is, she has said that there are multiple sexual predators basically in Congress. And John Conyers is not one of them. She has said that she knew about all of the, that people know who these people are. She's from California. Here is her discussing John Conyers, right? Here's what she had to say about John Conyers. Uh, the other day. Do we actually have a clip or it's just the graphic? Okay, so here's what she actually said. She said, quote, I think the allegations are very serious, and that's why there's the ethics committee needs to move forward very swiftly. Not wait years, but very swiftly. Staff up, if necessary, to determine whether or not those allegations are accurate. If they're accurate, I do believe Congressman Conyers should step down. Okay, the if they're accurate routine, the if they're accurate routine, basically suggests that now there needs to be a full trial before we decide in public affairs whether or not somebody needs to step down. If that were the case, Bill Clinton was never convicted of anything. Hillary Clinton was never convicted of anything. David Vitter was never convicted of anything. You know, the, all, these, all these people, Anthony Weiner at the time he resigned had not been convicted of anything. That's not how politics works. Politics is not about the idea that you have to go through a full due process trial. That's what you do to avoid prison. Politics is about who do you want representing you. And if we're all going to now have the standard that you have to be convicted of a crime in order for you to be removed from office, then I guess that's our standard from now on. But it just means that our politicians are basically going to be worse and worse people. It's pretty astonishing. right? And Conyers, of course, has said that he'll step aside in the Judiciary Committee. It means nothing. Again, for the, for the 10th time, John Conyers leaving would mean nothing to the Democrats. John Conyers' district is heavily Democratic. Okay, but that's not the only instance of the Democrats doing this over the weekend. Over the weekend, the Democrats came out and defended Al Franken. So Al Franken has come out and he said he's ashamed, but he's not stepping down. He's ashamed of his behavior. He, he said that he can still be effective. He said, quote, I've let a lot of people down, and I'm hoping I can make it up to them and gradually regain their trust. Right, this is what he said on Sunday by phone. He said, I'm looking forward to getting back to work tomorrow. So no, he's not stepping down. It doesn't matter. There's an actual picture of him trying to grab a sleeping woman's breasts. It doesn't matter that many, many women have now come out and said they grabbed their butts. He says, by the way, that his defense of himself is that he's a hugger, that he's a hugger. Did his hands hug asses? I'm confused. Here's Al Franken defending himself. You know, I, I, I can't say that that hasn't happened. I take thousands and thousands of pictures. We sometimes in crowded and chaotic situations. Uh, I can't say I haven't done that, and I, I, I'm, uh, I am very sorry if these women experience that. Okay, <laughs> they didn't experience it. You grabbed their butts, like, dude. I, you know, you know, it takes a lot of pictures in crowded situations. Right here, me. Okay, I do it all the time. Mathis, my producer, can attest to this, okay? I do this all the time. I'm in major crowds all the time, taking pictures with lots of people. 
including many young women, not once has my hand gravitated toward their posteriors. You know why? Because that's sexual assault. You're not supposed to grab people on their butts, you stupid piece of crap. Okay, and here he is saying, I'm sorry if they experienced that as though it was like a hurricane. It just sort of came along and swept them along. Oh, well, I'm sorry they had to experience that inevitability of life, which is my hand on their butt. My bad. You, you know how far the shoulder is from the butt, by the way? It's a long way from the butt. Okay, when I take, not, not to give like basic, the, the knee bone is connected to the shin bone, but um, when I take a picture with somebody and my hand is up here at their shoulder, I have to travel at least two feet downward to reach an ass. Okay, but apparently Al Franken's hand is so driven by gravity downward. Right? He has the heaviest hand in the world. He just can't keep it up there, just slides it down. And then he says, well, you know, I'll apologize if these women experienced anything. It's just, it's just terrible. I just can't, you know, I, but I'm not stepping down. I'm not leaving or anything. And the Democrats are not going to force him to leave. Okay, and the proof is there. It's all there. It's pretty astonishing. So all that's happened in our politics is that basically because we're such partisan tribalists, because we're such loyalists, now the way that it works is if you even issue the remotest denial, it doesn't matter if the denial is credible or not. It doesn't matter if the denial is good. The denial can be the stupidest denial that you've ever heard of. None of it matters. So long as you issue any denial of any kind, that gives somebody a peg that they can hang their hat on, which suggests that we don't care about this crap in the first place. Like even President Trump, like President Trump over the weekend, there's a report out. This is an astonishing report. There's a report out that President Trump has been going around the last few months privately questioning the authenticity of the Access Hollywood recording. No, I am not kidding. You remember in 2016, there was that famous tape that came out of him saying you could grab women by the bleeps and they wouldn't care because you're famous, right? When, you, when you're famous, they'll let you do anything. And there was a tape of him talking to Billy Bush about this. Apparently, he's been going around repeating a claim to advisors that it's not even a real tape, that it was manufactured. Okay, so he's now created a conspiracy theory about a conversation in which he personally took place. Okay, they, I'm not joking. This is a thing that happened. Okay, this is according to both ABC News and the New York Times. It's not surprising because President Trump has a unique capacity to convince himself of virtually anything, and any news that is bad for him, he calls fake news. Like, you know, he tweeted out, this is pretty hilarious, I have to admit, he tweeted this out just this morning, quote, we should have a contest as to which of the networks, plus CNN and not including Fox, <laughs> is the most dishonest, corrupt, and or distorted in its political coverage of your favorite president, parentheses, me. They are all bad. Winner to receive, all caps, the fake news trophy. Come on down, da 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 Okay, he never gave up actually being on a game show. I do love that he is restricting your choices here to include CNN but not Fox because he likes Fox. Um, and then I like that he has to label, I like that he now calls himself your favorite president. I do love that. It's pretty spectacular. And then he has to, and then he has to put in parentheses me as though we were going to be unclear about who he was talking about. That we thought he was talking about George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, that CNN and Fox had not been covering George Washington or Abraham Lincoln fairly. I have to admit, the guy, I don't know whether he's joking or not. I think he's like half joking here, but that's pretty funny stuff. I mean, that's pretty fu It would be funnier if you weren't the president of the United States and, you know, had responsibilities and everything. Like if, if you were just sort of a guy on Twitter, but I guess that's, that's sort of what he considers himself to be. Like this is, it's pretty amazing, right? I, I do love that. But this is how, you wonder how we get to a point where we can ignore plausible allegations, it's because this is what people think of the news. Trump is actually not wrong when he says this is how people think of the news. The left thinks of Fox News as a propaganda outlet. The right thinks of CNN as a propaganda outlet. Therefore, any allegations focused on by either one of them is going to be considered propaganda so long as it hurts your side. And this brings us finally and at last to Roy Moore. So while the Democrats have been working very hard to give up the moral high ground for no apparent candidate. I mean, this is how bad they are. It's a, th thank God for Republicans, the Democrats are so bad at this. I mean, truly horrifying at this. 
that they go through this whole routine with Roy Moore. And then in order to save Al Franken and John Conyers, both people who would be replaced by Democrats, they decide to undermine any moral credibility they had. Roy Moore is going to survive. Not only is Roy Moore going to survive, I would think he's going to win now. I would be very surprised if Roy Moore does not win his Alabama Senate race, not because he deserves to win the Alabama Senate race, but because the Democrats have set up a standard. Right? The Democrats have set up a standard. They set it up in 1998, and they, they, they looked like they were moving away from it, and then they just hugged it with both hands over the weekend, hugged it with both hands on a woman's butt over the weekend. They, the Democrats came out, and they basically said, any Democrat who is accused of anything, we will defend. That's essentially what they say. And so the Republicans are now essentially doing the same thing, which is not a huge surprise. Right? Here's the RNC chair, Rhonda McDaniel. Rhonda Rhonda McDaniel, she comes out, and she says, listen— the voters are going to decide, which is, again, a cop-out, right? She could have some input here, but she's not going to because the voters are going to decide. The Alabama voters are going to have to be the judge and jury on this. They're going to have to look at um, the women that have come forward with these very concerning um, allegations and then what the judge is putting forward, and they're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not they want him to represent their state in the United States Senate. Okay, and now we know, by the way, that people will buy into any denial because the Democrats bought into any denial. You saw Nancy Pelosi on national TV saying that she doubts the women who accused John Conyers, even though there is a signed settlement, a signed settlement, and still she's saying that she doesn't believe the accusers, right? Or at least she doesn't have enough evidence to believe the accusers. So is it any wonder that Roy Moore isn't going to back down and that he's going to send out his lawyers to say stuff like this? Here's Roy Moore's lawyer, say, or his campaign strategist, saying that they believe Roy Moore and all of the women are lying. All 9,000 women are lying. And all this Jerry Springer stuff is over. And I'm talking to all y'all. We're not going to do this anymore as a campaign. So all you, all you people that run around yelling stuff at Judge Moore, asking these ridiculous questions, I'm the chief political strategist. And my advice is every time they yell something like that to you, Judge Moore, or to the campaign, just think it's the Jerry Springer show. Don't answer it. Judge Moore's answered all the questions. We believe Judge Moore. We don't believe these women. It's just that simple. And y'all can keep trotting them out if you want to, but we're not going to talk about that. Okay, and I'm getting this we're from a lot of people, about- by the way. Like when I hosted for Mark Levin uh, the day before Thanksgiving, uh, virtually every caller agreed with this lawyer, uh, agreed with the campaign guy here, that Roy Moore was innocent and all these women were lying and that all of the stories were false. I guess we, this is now the standard that we have, which is no standard at all for evidence. Okay, like I, I again, I've explained time and time again on the show why I think that the allegations are credible. And... And even the bottom line is that any any argument will now be made in order to defend these people. Joel Pollack, who is the who is the editor at large, I guess, senior editor at large now over at Breitbart, my former employer, uh, which has become just a propaganda outlet for whichever chosen candidate uh, Breitbart and Steve Bannon decide is important today. Uh, Joel was was doing his uh, his propaganda work on CNN this morning, talking about how Judge Roy Moore could have been dating 16 year olds and it was totally fine because Ringo Starr or something. You know, in 1973, Ringo Starr hit number one on the Billboard charts with the song, You're 16, You're Beautiful in Your Mind, and it was a remake of an earlier song. He was 30-something at the time, singing about a 16-year-old. You want to take away uh, Ringo Starr's... You can't be serious. I mean... You can't be serious. You can't be serious. You're talking about relationships that You think that Ringo Starr's song is supposed to Mm -hmm. be a nod towards allowing 30-year-old men to prey on teenagers? You don't believe that, Joel. Okay, so two things. One, the, the original song was written by the Sherman Brothers, uh, and it was written for a teenager about other teenagers. So there are better examples of this. I mean, if Joel wants to do this, we actually did a full Deconstructing the Culture in which we cited song after song last week of older men preying on younger women. So Joel's not wrong that this exists in popular culture, but the question is, why is that a defense of Moore? 
Like I, I used that in my deconstructing the culture segment. I used that to talk about how depraved our culture had become. I didn't use that as defense of somebody doing it. I mean, my goodness. But I guess this is, this is where we are. I guess that's a defense now. Everything's a defense now. So that's very exciting stuff. I'm, I'm just glad that, I'm glad that we can't have people who have vague allegations of covering up for child molestation made about them sitting as the head coach at University of Tennessee because our moral standards are so high. But sitting in the United States Senate, different story. Or sitting in the United States Senate, even if they'd be replaced by a member of their own party, different story. Yeah, I, I think that we may be toast here, gang. I, I, I'm thinking that the moral credibility of the American people may be called, because listen, it's not about the people in Congress anymore. It's about us. It's about what we tolerate. In the end, we are the voters. What do we decide to tolerate? What do we decide is okay for people sitting there? And if we have to lose a race every so often in order for everyone to have these, the, a, a better moral standard, maybe that's an important thing. Maybe those moral standards are important because the fact is that if all we believe Congress is a series of people who are going to vote for us regardless of character, we're going to have bad people who are willing to betray our interests. Okay, bad people are bad people. I don't trust people about whom these uh, – you wouldn't trust this person to babysit your child. I don't know why you would trust them to implement all of your policy decisions. I guess this is the hard divide that was made in the 1990s about Bill Clinton, and I guess we all buy the Bill Clinton school of thought now. We were going to make noise about how he didn't, but apparently we all do. Okay, so before I go any further, and I want to talk about the stupidity – of a bunch of people who are ripping into the New York Times for what I thought was actually a really interesting and well-done piece about white supremacists. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Stamps.com. So we here at the Ben Shapiro Show use Stamps.com all the time. That's because the post office is great. They're really efficient, but they're not as efficient as sitting at your desk at your house and not having to go stand in line at the post office. That means that you are able to print out your postage at home. They will send you a scale so that you can actually weigh your postage and know your packages and know exactly how much postage is necessary. They'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage. It'll even help you decide the best class of mail every time. Stamps.com. We use Stamps.com because, again, we don't have time to run to the post office. Right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. Again, click on Stamps.com, type in, there's a microphone at the top of the page, click it, and type in Shapiro, and you will get a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments, which is an awesome deal. You know, before I get to this New York Times piece, I just gonna need to give you a brief rundown on what's happening over at the uh, at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau because this has become an issue in the last couple of hours. Basically, uh, here's the story, according to the Washington Post. As a Republican congressman, Mick Mulvaney called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau a joke and said he wished it didn't exist, mainly because it's kind of a joke and it shouldn't exist. On Monday, Mulvaney showed up at the agency's D.C. offices with a bag of donuts and a new title, Boss. But after a frantic weekend of political and legal posturing, Mulvaney's arrival represented a new escalation of tensions over who ultimately will lead the agency. A day earlier, Leandra English filed suit claiming she is the rightful acting director. So leadership of the agency was thrown into doubt last Friday when Richard Cordray stepped down as CFPB director and said his chief of staff, English, would temporarily replace him. A few hours later, Trump named Mulvaney the Office of Management and Budget Director and longtime critic of the CFPB to do the job. Okay, let's put it this way. This is insane. What Richard Cordray did here and what Leandra English are doing here, it's crazy. There are two bills that are governing. Okay, bill number one was passed in 1998, and it says the president has the power to fill all of these vacancies. Right? In 1998, there's a bill that specifically says the president has the power to fill the vacancy. And then there is the Dodd-Frank bill, and the Dodd-Frank bill says that the director, when he steps down, can appoint an interim acting director. Okay, that may be true, but the president can trump that if the president wants to fill the slot, because otherwise the person is not subject to appointment. The person is not subject to senatorial go-ahead. 
Otherwise, you have a completely unaccountable bureaucrat appointing another unaccountable bureaucrat. That's not the way that separation of powers works. This is an executive branch agency. Either the person who is appointed has to be appointed by the president and approved by the Senate, or it has to be appointed by the president. They don't have executive, agents, executive branch agencies that run independent of the executive branch and the legislative branch. I mean, I guess the contention here is that Richard Cordray becomes his magical own dictator, that the minute Richard Cordray steps into that office, now he has the power to appoint successors and he gets to run the place the way that he wants to run the place. That's not how this works. I mean, Richard Cordray was appointed, I believe, by President Obama was the idea. And Richard Cordray, I mean, th this is a political stunt. There's no question that this is a political stunt. They, they, they could have fired him. They didn't fire him. Instead, they allowed him to step down. But in stepping down, he decided to start a political firefight because he wanted to make a name for himself and run for governor of Ohio is basically the idea. Again, there's nothing in law that allows Richard Cordray to trump the president of the United States. Remember that originally Obama, Obama appointed Cordray by using an unconstitutional recess appointment. Democrats threatened to change the filibuster rules and Republicans surrendered. This is back in 2013. And then in 2013, the Senate confirmed the guy to a five-year term. But this is pretty cynical stuff. The National Review has a, has a good piece by Ronald Rubin on this. Um, and uh, essentially what it says is, since 2010, Republicans have argued that the CFPB's unique structure, an independent agency whose single director the president can fire only for cause with guaranteed funding through Federal Reserve Bank profits rather than the congressional appropriation process, is a recipe for government abuse, if not unconstitutional. Cordray proved them right. Warren built to Elizabeth Warren is the person who made these changes uh, through Dodd-Frank. And Cordray deployed it. The Bureau's powerful media division dictated policy to its regulatory professionals and relentlessly exaggerated the agency's achievements in daily press releases and social media posts. Political operatives used the CFPB's super independence to stonewall congressional subpoenas and hide unethical investigation tactics, internal discrimination problems, and other inconvenient facts. Republican critics were dismissed as Wall Street sycophants. Meanwhile, millions of dollars were diverted from the CFPB to Democratic allies. From 2014 to 20, 2017, the Bureau paid $11 million a year to rent office space in an Obama fundraiser's building. They were allowed to do this because they basically ran the place like a fiefdom again. And then he entrenched Cordray, put a bunch of Democratic employees in during the first half of 2017. And then he awarded a, a $15 million contract to, to another one of Obama's uh, friends. Uh, he's, he's been doing all this stuff. And then finally, Trump was going to use the Federal Vacancies Reform Act of 1998, that's what I was referring to, to appoint Budget Director Mick Mulvaney to come in and clean house at the CFPB. So instead, Cordray resigned and then appointed his own replacement. He appointed his chief of staff, the CFPB deputy director. And they cited language in the Dodd-Frank Act that the deputy director shall serve as acting director in the absence or unavailability of the director. Okay, that's not the same thing as he, he, he steps down. and you can, that, Even the bill itself doesn't say he can appoint his own replacement. It says that if he's absent or unavailable, like he's over, overseas or something. But there's no question that, that Trump is going to win this thing in court. I mean, if he doesn't win this thing in court, it's just another example of insane political activism on the part of the courts, which would not actually be supremely surprising. Okay, uh, now meanwhile, the New York Times has been accused of sympathizing with Nazis. Yes, really, the left is now eating its own, which is somewhat delicious, but I have to say incredibly stupid. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But first, we're going to have to go over to, uh, you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you can get the Daily Wire subscription. That means that you get the rest of this show live on video. It means you get the rest of the Michael Knowles show live on video and the rest of the Andrew Clavin show live on video. It means that you get to be part of our mailbag on Fridays. It means that when the Shapiro store comes, and it is coming, you will get discounts at the Shapiro store as well. Also, if you become an annual subscriber, 
then you get this. For 99 bucks a year, you get all of that, which is cheaper than the monthly subscription. But you also get this, the greatest in all beverage vessels, the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. You will never enjoy drinking anything as much as you will enjoy drinking beverages from this particular tumbler, uh, which apparently grants immortality. I can't attest to that, but I haven't died yet. So, so far, so good. Liberal to leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. You can get that with your annual subscription as well. If you just want to watch the, listen to the show later, then subscribe over at YouTube or SoundCloud or iTunes. Subscribe over at YouTube particularly because we have lots of good video material that comes out on a regular basis that you won't get if you just subscribe at SoundCloud or iTunes. But go over, subscribe, whatever your podcast app. We are available. We are one of the top podcasts in the nation. So make sure you subscribe and leave us a review as well. That always helps with our rankings. We are the top conservative and fastest growing conservative podcast in America. So demonstrating how leftist thought leads to short-sightedness with regard to fighting people even the left hates. Uh, there is an article in the New York Times over the weekend that's getting all sorts of blowback. And there's a guy named Tony Hoveter. You've never heard of him because you're not a white supremacist. Now, Tony Hoveter uh, apparently is on a, uh, a show called Radio Aryan. He'll call into a show called Radio Aryan, and he's the founder of some white supremacist political party. And he is, um, he is a full-on neo-Nazi, basically. And there's an article in the New York Times that basically describes him as a regular guy with horrific views. What's funny is that the left finds this particularly repellent, that how dare they describe him as a, a regular guy in many ways with disgusting political viewpoints, as though everyone who has disgusting political viewpoints is you know, a guy with tattoos up his neck uh, and a swastika on his forehead like Charles Manson, as though people can't hide in plain sight. Uh, and as though people aren't moved from mainstream political movements into fringe political movements with relative alacrity. If you want to talk about the risks of political extremism in the country, you have to acknowledge that there's a group of regular people who can easily be led astray by evil people masquerading as quote-unquote normies. And that's what this New York Times piece does. It says Tony and Maria Hoveter were married this fall. They registered at Target. On their list was a muffin pan, a four-drawer dresser, and a pineapple slicer. Miss Hoveter, 25, was worried about Antifa bashing up the ceremony. Weddings are hard enough to plan when your fiancé is not an avowed white nationalist. People are very angry at this. How dare the New York Times say they registered a target and pretend these are normal people? Well, because a lot of people with evil beliefs, I mean, this is Hannah Arendt's entire theory, right? The banality of evil is that evil people are people who are evil. They're not monsters who you can identify easily, and that's why you have to be on your lookout. That's the whole point. And the whole point of this article is that you have to be on the lookout for people like Tony Hoveter because Hoveter has evil, evil views, but masquerades as a normal person. Right? It says he is the Nazi sympathizer next door, polite and low-key at a time the old boundaries of accepted political activity can seem alarmingly in flux. Most Americans would be disgusted and baffled by his casually approving remarks about Hitler, disdain for democracy, and belief that the races are better off separate. But his tattoos are innocuous pop culture references, a slice of cherry pie adorns one arm, an homage to the TV show Twin Peaks. Okay, so he's not, he, you know, he, he sounds like a weirdo. He's a welder. Um, and they say that he's a, a regular guy who just believes in Nazism, basically. He says, I don't think any, I, I, he says, I don't want you to think I'm some edgy Republican. He says, while flatly denouncing the concept of democracy, I don't even think those things should be edgy. While defending his assertion, Jews run the worlds of finance and the media and appear to be working more in line with their own interests than everybody else's. His political evolution from vaguely leftist rock musician to ardent libertarian to fascist activist was largely fueled by the kinds of frustrations that would not seem exotic to most American conservatives. So here's the New York Times trying to tie him to conservatism. But the fact is, that he did attend CPAC, apparently, in 2015. Uh, he name-drops people like Murray Rothbard, who's an anarcho-capitalist. And, uh, and he 
uh, has, he was a supporter of President Trump's. The point of this article is not that he's a good guy. The point of this article is that he's a very bad guy who believes very bad things, but can masquerade in, in plain sight. And the reason that's important is because, listen, I've dealt with enough young college kids, some of whom have been seduced by the alt-right, to know that this is how they get seduced. They get seduced by the trollery. And then when people say, well, that's really disgusting, they say, well, you're just politically correct. I'll do more of it. And they say, well, maybe the reason that people are so opposed to my point of view is because it's true. Maybe the reason that people are so upset when I post a Holocaust meme is because the Holocaust didn't really happen and they know it and they're lying about it. This is how people get sucked in. I mean, this guy's still young. He's 25 years old. But, the, but it's, it's pretty... It's an in-depth profile. I think it's a very good profile. And the fact is that the left attacking the profile is one of the reasons the left is going to lose because by attacking the profile, they're preventing people from truly understanding how these ideas materialize. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a huge mistake. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate, and then we will go through a Federalist paper. So things I like. Uh, over the weekend, I watched an uplifting film, um, a great Thanksgiving Day film about the Cambodian genocide. Um, it, it was actually, it's actually a very, very good film. So Angelina Jolie made a, she, she directed this, uh, she helped write the screenplay. It's an adaptation of a, of a nonfiction book by a, a girl who was seven years old, five, I think five to seven, when the Cambodian genocide took place. It's called First They Killed My Father. It actually is a good Thanksgiving giving movie just because be thankful you do not live in a regime like this. I mean, my God. Uh, and be thankful, it, it's, it's interesting. Angelina Jolie, uh, tries to make, the rise of the Khmer Rouge about basically the United States and how evil the United States was for getting involved in Cambodia in the first place. The truth is that the United States was bombing the Khmer Rouge until they decided to pull out uh, of the Vietnam War. One of the things that happened after the pullout from the Vietnam War was the slaughter of over a million Cambodians. 25% of the population was basically murdered uh, in Cambodia after the United States pulled out of Vietnam. And then the Cambodians, the Khmer Rouge, went to battle with the Vietnamese communists. It was, there was actually a Russia-China war, basically. The Khmer Rouge were backed by the Chinese. The Viet, the Viet Cong were backed by the, the Russians. And they went to war. The Viet Cong ended up winning that war. Uh, the Khmer Rouge were some of the worst people ever to walk the planet. And, uh, and this film by Jolie, Jolie had directed the movie Unbroken, which is based on a, a very good book by uh, Laura Hillenbrand uh, about, uh, about a, a guy who's a prisoner of war, an American, it's Louis Zamperini, uh, who's an American prisoner of war. The film itself is really pedestrian. The book is much better, Unbroken. She's picked up her game because this is actually a pretty well-directed film. Um, and it's a, really, it's, it's a really effective film. It should be nominated for Best Picture. Um, it probably will be. She should probably be nominated for Best Director, which is a lot to say about somebody like Angelina Jolie, but it's a, it's a very effective film. Here's, here's some of the preview. It's Cambodia, 1975. It's a little girl. Everybody's kind of partying. American Marines have flown in from the USS aircraft carrier spoken So her father works for the Cambodian government and, uh, and then has to hide who he is. It doesn't save her life. Both of her parents are, are murdered in the film. This is not a giveaway. I mean, the film is called First They Kill My Father. It's all about how these communist horrific, horrifying ideas destroying industry. There's a, there's a really horrifying scene where a guy his child is sick, and the Khmer Rouge won't let him use quote-unquote Western medicine for his child. And so he goes out and steals Western medicine, so they kill him. Uh, it demonstrates how horrific communism is. And for all the people on the left who made way for this kind of garbage for decades, uh, they should be ashamed, not only ashamed of themselves, they should live in, uh, in, in a constant state of penance. 
for pretending that the United States were, were the bad guys when it came to the Vietnam War. The Viet Cong were the bad guys. The Khmer Rouge were the bad guys. The United States were not the bad guys here. The movie is First They Kill My Father, and it's well worth watching. Speaking of being grateful for freedom, this video was going around last week, and it really is truly incredible. This is a North Korean soldier who attempts to defect, and you will see the North Koreans, they, they've, basically, they've built basically a wall to keep people in. They shoot this guy seven times as he is trying to leave. He survived, amazingly. Um, but here is the, uh, here's some video of it. They were just a few feet behind him. They fired more than 40 bullets, but failed to kill or capture him. And tonight, the North Korean soldiers who couldn't keep their comrade from pulling off a dramatic escape last week are facing the fallout. A South Korean lawmaker tells CNN nearly all the North Korean soldiers present along the border that day have been replaced. Human rights observers say being replaced could be the least of their worries. Uh, meaning that they might be shot. Uh, so this guy actually ran away and he made it to the other side. If you have to, you know, for all the people who are talking in the United States, these actresses and actors talking about, I'll flee America if Trump's elected. You shut up. Hey, really shut up. The border is open. You can leave whenever you want. It's fine. Go. Okay? The, the, countries where, the, the countries where true evil is going on, they don't let you leave. They shoot you if you try to leave. Okay, other things that I like. So uh, I want to say thank you to the New York Times. Seriously. Uh, they ran a very fair piece uh, from, from a, a reporter named uh, Sabrina Tavernis, uh, who is actually, I, I think, a genuinely uh, objective reporter trying to do the right thing. Uh, she wrote a piece called Ben Shapiro, A Provocative Gladiator Battles to Win Young Conservatives. Uh, it was a full-page article in the New York Times over, over the Thanksgiving Day weekend. It was on Friday. Uh, and the article I thought was very fair. They quoted some of my critics. I know that she had tried to reach out to some of the people on the left who are my critics. Uh, some of them wouldn't answer her. But in any case, uh, this drove the left utterly insane. And to demonstrate just how intolerant the left are, uh, the, the left, uh, leftists are, this is pretty astonishing. So they run this article that is essentially an objective look at you know, our role here at the Daily Wire and the conservative movement, what I do. It's about the podcast. It talks about it at length. Uh, and I think it's a pretty fair, uh, compelling look. So Eric Bullard, who's just a scuzzbag beyond all scuzzbags, a longtime nemesis of Andrew Breitbart, uh, and uh, Andrew used to mock him for, uh, for being a George Soros tool. Eric Bullard tweeted something out about how it was a puff piece on a former Breitbart bottom feeder. Number of critics, liberals, Dems quoted in peace, zero. Well, I mean, you can find leftists to, to criticize me all over the internet. It really is not particularly difficult, including Eric Bullard. But this is my favorite part. I was trying to favorite this. I only have one favorite on Twitter. It is Chris Evans saying he genuinely dislikes me. So I really wanted to favorite this, but Deborah Messing unfortunately blocked me. Deborah Messing, the, uh, the horrific actress from Will and Grace, uh, has never been in anything since, since she can't act her way out of a paperback. Um, but she tweeted out that this article about me is why she canceled her subscription to the New York Times. She actually canceled her subscription to the New York Times because they ran an objective article about me that wasn't a, uh, that wasn't a hit job. So one article about a conservative that isn't a hit job and Deborah Messing cancels her subscription. I mean, to be fair, I thought her show, Will and Grace, is absolute crap, but I didn't cancel my cable because of it. And I think she's a terrible, terrible actress, but I didn't like say I'm not using TiVo anymore. So well done, Deborah Messing. Uh, clear, uh, apparently then she spent the weekend painting a live horse or something. So I'm afraid that that article may have driven her a little bit out of her mind. So I feel a little bit bad for that. I'm sorry, Deborah Messing, that your life was ruined by having to read views with which you disagree. I guess life is very tough when you're a multi-million dollar actress who hasn't made anything in 15 years and now is getting to be cast in a reboot of your own garbage show in the first place. Okay, time for some things that I hate. All right, first thing that I hate. I meant to do this last week, now I have to do it. Um, there was a video that came out showing professional cuddling. Uh, I talked about it a little bit, but I need to actually show you the video of the professional cuddling. Uh, this is just horrendous and never should happen in the planet. These are people who are being hired to cuddle with other people, like strangers. 
and says, this person is a total stranger to me. Her job is to give people cuddles. She's a professional cuddlist. During a cuddler session, it's, it's a safe space. It's a space where they get to explore touch. More likely than not, they're not getting the level of touch that they need in their everyday life. I'm just about to go for my very first cuddling session. And personally, I have been going through a tough time lately, so I'm very curious to see if this session will help me in any way. And so the session starts by setting some ground rules. She asks you to think about what you're most comfortable with. As a first timer, becoming relaxed wasn't easy. Because why do you How have you like a stranger's says, how would you like me to join you? And she's like, um, I wouldn't. Says, I had to rely on this Cuddle Sutra book for inspiration. Okay, okay, uh, uh, no. It says, yes, it's pretty awkward. You wanna interlock cam? Yeah. Okay, th and then this goes on. It gets better with time, though. Why would you, why, 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 why? <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah. Okay, so we're living in a society where we're worried about sexual harassment and sexual abuse. You hire a professional cuddlist, a rando, to come over to your house, and they're professional. What makes you a professional cuddlist? Like, what makes you good at this? I'm just wondering, do you go to cuddlist school? Do you get a PhD in cuddling? And what in the, what in the actual F? Get a boyfriend. You know, get a, get a dog. Like, seriously, people. You know what's happened? We've so, we've so much separated sex and touch from from emotion that now we're trying to re put those things back together but without actually forming an emotional connection with the person you have to hire the person in order to cuddle you i mean like when guys do used to do this it was called a whorehouse when women do it with other women then it's just cuddling because there's nothing sexual going on i guess but it's like it's a random person that you're hugging like what in the world i think we're gonna need to toughen up gang i think we're gonna need to toughen up i'm not sure western civilization can survive the onslaught of, of reality, if you're hiring people to lie next to you and cuddle you who you don't know. What in the world? Okay, uh, I had other things that I hate, but I'm sorry, I have too much hate for this. I, there's no more room for others. So now we're gonna do Federalist number five. So every Monday we've been going through a Federalist paper, gradually making our way through all of the Federalist papers. So Federalist number five is by John Jay. Remember, this beginning of the Federalist Papers is all about why we shouldn't be multiple nations as opposed to one nation. So John Jay talks about how this would actually cause internal dissension inside the nation. What you would actually end up with is wars on the American continent between the various nations on the continent. He says, whenever and from whatever causes it might happen, and happen it would, that any one of these nations or confederacies should rise on the scale of political importance much above the degree of her neighbors, that moment would those neighbors behold her with envy and with fear. In other words, one region would probably be stronger than the other region, and then you'd end up with a civil war. And he predicted that he, in this Federalist paper, he basically predicts the Civil War. He says that the North would probably outer in the South, and this would cause the South to become jealous of the North, and this would cause the North to become overreaching, and then you would end up with a, with a war between the two sides, even if they were separate countries. So secession would not actually solve the problem. 
It would just end up leading to war more easily. Now, obviously, he's not talking about slavery here, which was the major issue in the Civil War. But what I'm saying is that he was predicting conflict between North and South based on regional differences and no national allegiance. He says, considering our distance from Europe, it would be more natural for these confederacies to apprehend danger from one another than from distant nations. And therefore, that each of them should be more desirous to guard against the others by the aid of foreign alliances than to guard against foreign dangers by alliances between themselves. In other words, the North and the South wouldn't create an alliance against Britain. The North would, would ally with, with the French, and the South would ally with Britain, and then they'd go to war, and then sooner or later you'd end up with French and British troops on American shores who are basically serving the interests of one of the regimes or the other, and that's how you get a reinvasion of the United States by the powers of Europe. It's an interesting argument. It is also provocative in the sense that it reminds us that a unified foreign policy in the United States was not a guarantee. Right? There was a point where it was not clear that the United States was actually going to be the United States. It could have very, very easily been the disunited States, and that would have led to a lot, an awful lot of bloodshed. In fact, the only time when America tried to split apart, it led to the bloodiest war, uh, costing the most number of lives in American history. So um, the, the founders knew what they were talking about when they talked about the necessity for uniting. It also reminds us that as much as we like to complain about the divisions in the United States right now, uh, there, the, the, the divisions that would be caused by some sort of secession, like a violent secession, uh, would be a hell of a lot worse. Okay, we will be back here tomorrow. Lots more to discuss. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.